0: Welcome to Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup. Here's a look at some of our Caribbean headlines for today. Barbados political parties ready but slam sudden election announcement. Guyana's oil fund law passes amid chaotic in-house protests. Bill allowing women in U.S. Virgin Islands to keep whichever surname they choose upon marriage approved in Senate. Bahamas central bank looks to phase out checks. Engineers and surveyors propose infrastructure reconstruction plan for Puerto Rico. Cuba's surpasses 200 daily COVID-19 cases for first time in months and St. Lucian's wins $2 million jackpot. These and other stories on today's Pulse of the Caribbean Caribbean News Roundup for Thursday, December 30th. We start our report today in Barbados. Global Voice reports that for the first time in Barbados's history, women leaders will take Barbados's two major political parties into the arena as the island prepares for a snap general election. Incumbent Prime Minister Mia Motley, head of the Barbados Labor Party, will face off with Attorney-at-Law Verla de Pisa and the Democratic Labor Party at the polls set for January 19, 2022. This will also be the first general election to take place since the island became a republic at midnight on November 30th. Barbados Today reports that President of the Democratic Labor Party, Verla de Pisa, questioned the timing of the January 19, 2022 general elections announced by Prime Minister Mia Motley. In a strong statement, the Pisa claimed that the government is in panic mode and has put its interests ahead of Barbadians and the country in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and a threatening Omnicron variant. They PISA made clear that the Democratic Labor Party's fresh and young team is ready to offer the country leadership it needs. Barbados today also reports that two of the country's junior political parties are also refusing to back down from the daunting challenge of contesting upcoming general elections as they joined a chorus of opposition voices slamming Prime Minister Mia Motley for springing up a surprise poll on the masses 18 months before constitutionally due. At a press conference on Tuesday Former opposition leader, Bishop Joseph Adderley, confirmed his intention to vie for a seat in parliament. President of the Solution Barbados party, Grenville Phillips III, has also confirmed his intention to shepherd a full slate of candidates to the next poll, while vowing that on this occasion, his name would not appear on any ballot. Meanwhile, the considerably more established Democratic Labor Party, which previously introduced the country to 24 of its 29 candidates, has already released a statement rallying the masses to vote for change. And the United Progressive Party has also called on citizens to make the changes necessary to advance our democracy with a promise to announce its candidates in short order. Prime Minister Motley made the election announcement in a televised broadcast on December 27. Within 24 hours, posters were already going up across the island. The nomination of candidates will take place on January 3. The snap general election for January January 19, 2022, comes more than a year before it's constitutionally due. Proter News reports that ignoring mounting criticism and appeals in the past two weeks to have Guyana's Natural Resource Fund Bill 2021 sent to a special select committee for proper consideration and input from the citizenry, the Guyana's People Progressive Party Civic Administration used its one-seat majority to ram in through the House Wednesday night although the opposition has raised questions about its legality, citing several breaches in the standing orders during the chaotic scenes that unfolded. Members of the political opposition surround the finance minister, Dr. Ashni Singh, to protest his move to have the Natural Resource Fund bill pass. Chief Whip for parliamentary opposition in Guyana, Christopher Jones was the first to lead the charge for a stay of the debate. As he recalled the criticisms the bill faced from various quarters since being tabled in the House on December 16, 2021. He said it is only fair that the government send it to a committee for further consideration as it can have grave implications for the future of all Guyanese. Since the bill was tabled on December 16, Crowder News has been at the forefront of highlighting some of the key loopholes that could give way to massive corruption, barring frenzies, as well as spending sprees. In the bill, there are various methods of calculations for the withdrawal of the nation's oil dollars, but if there is a major natural disaster, the government has the power to override those rules in place and withdraw any amount it deems fit for the said emergency. Importantly, there is no provision that caters for any abuse of this emergency mechanism. When Guyana had pursued the creation of its first Natural Resource Fund Bill legislation back in 2018, it was warned to have clear penalties or the fund could run the risk of failing to serve current and future generations. This advice was provided by the Natural Resource Governance Institute, which also cited numerous examples from around the world on how often natural resource funds becomes easily mismanaged and the perpetrators go unpunished. Crider News article concluded that the bill, in spite of concerns being raised, has been passed with numerous loopholes. The Virgin Islands Consortium reports that members of the 34th legislature of the U.S. Virgin Islands have approved a piece of legislation that will allow for married women in the U.S. Virgin Islands to not mandatorily carry the surname of their husband, but to choose whichever surname they prefer as a part of their identification. Describing the current legislation as an antiquated sexist law, the senator stated that the current law states the wife shall bear the surname of her husband husband bill 34 that 0035 is designed to abolish this very law and give women the right to choose their last name upon marriage Explaining the bill during the December 23rd session of the legislature, Senator Frances Heiliger told lawmakers that the current law was written during a period when women were not valued and had no rights. She stated that it is about time that we dispose of such sexist laws that have been in our code for the past 100 years. The bill was approved by the Committee on Rules and Judiciary, where it garnered unanimous support from other members. Payments.com reports that the days of paying for things by check in the Bahamas could be coming to an end. The country's central bank on Tuesday said in a press release that it had begun consulting with banks, credit unions and other payment providers on a strategy to eliminate all use of domestic checks by the end of 2024. The Central Bank of Bahamas says it will also consult with the public to make sure the plan delivers results that are efficient, financially inclusive, and supportive to further development of domestic financial system and economy. This project follows discussion last year with the country's Minister of Finance and Clearing Banks about reducing the use of checks and cash in the Bahamas over the next five years. Electronic funds and other non-cash alternatives have increasingly begun to replace checks in the island's nation the Central Bank of Barbados said. Meanwhile, the fee structure for electronic settlements favor non-check payments, with the Bahamas' automated clearinghouse charging more for check settlements than for other fund transfers. The COVID-19 pandemic also fueled increased demand for non-cash and contactless payments setting the stage for faster exchange the bank said in its announcement central bank of bahamas has been pushing for a digital currency due to frustrations over bank closing branches in the other reaches of the bahamas the move is also expected to offer more financial inclusion for unbanked bahamians and offer a way to transfer funds in the wake of her- Hurricanes or other natural disasters. The Weekly Journal reports that a minimum of six areas of Puerto Rico's infrastructure are in dire need to be reconstructed if the island is to reactivate its economy to effectively compete in current globalized economy, according to Puerto Rico's College of Engineers and Surveyors. To jumpstart the reconstruction process, the Puerto Rico College of Engineers and Surveyors presented a plan detailing the specific infrastructure problems the island faces and its proposed solutions for reconstruction in a planned and coherent way. We are making plans available to those who are going to lead us into the future, state and municipal governments, and all who work to rebuild our country. Here we are providing the best expertise available at no cost to the government," said Wong Alicia, president of the Puerto Rico College of Engineers and Surveyors. The engineers and surveyors identified six areas of the island's infrastructure that need urgent attention, electric power, water, waste management, transportation, communications, and structural seismic resilience. Also two areas closely related to infrastructure, permits, and economic development were identified. Reconstruction plan should be aligned with the United Nations goals for sustainable development in order to guarantee the people access to basic services within the framework of sustainability, said Alicia. In the area of economic development, the Puerto Rico College of Engineers and Surveyors proposed plan identifies manufacturing as the most important sector of Puerto Rico's economy, providing close to 50% of the island's gross domestic product. Nevertheless, the sector has has been affected by several factors that have made the island less competitive or attractive for investment when compared to other U.S. jurisdictions. Those factors stem from the signing of the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, in 1994, the repealing of corporate tax incentives from the U.S. Revenue Code to companies establishing in Puerto Rico and other legislation at the state level. For Puerto Rico to recover its competitiveness, the Puerto Rico College of Engineers and Surveyors recommends improving the power water transportation infrastructure for manufacturing areas and import and export routes and the creation of modern industrial parks. The professional organization also recommends providing the same benefits and incentives to manufacturing operations producing for both local consumption and for export. In the area of permits, According to the Puerto Rico College of Engineers and Surveyors, the process of doing business in Puerto Rico has become so complicated that the island is now ranked 65th among Latin America and Caribbean countries, when 12 years ago, it was ranked 32. Recommendations in the area specifically call for developing an auto certification system so that companies interested in establishing operations in Puerto Rico and their consultants be responsible for certifying their compliance with regulation in place. The recommendation also includes amending several laws and regulations to make the permit process more efficient and to expedite. In the area of energy, around 96% of Puerto Rico's power generation depends mainly on fossil fuel, oil, natural gas, and coal. Currently, the island's electric infrastructure is in an unprecedented state of vulnerability to which recent natural and atmospheric phenomena has greatly contributed. This along with the lack and necessary resources to finance improvements and the required maintenance have further contributed to further deteriorate an already fragile infrastructure. Recommendations include the urgent maintenance to existing infrastructure to guarantee the continuous and reliable operation of the power system, promoting distributed renewable power sources to effectively decongest the power grid and quickly restore service after natural disasters and train technicians and engineering professionals to develop the necessary skills to complete a successful transition. In the area of waste management, Puerto Rico is a country that generates the greatest amount of waste per capita in the world, around 5.6 pounds per person per day. The island has 29 land 18 are open dumps, and 11 are sanitary landfills, of which 13 operate under EPA monitoring. To effectively deal with the situation, the recommendations include reevaluating waste management legislation, waste collection and infrastructure, and the markets for recycled products. For transportation regarding the island's bridges, both federal agencies classified 11.7% of the 2,325 bridges in use as being in poor condition and 69% as being in satisfactory condition. The recommendations are to improve land transportation, including legislation to allow for the circulation of autonomous and commercial vehicles on the island's road, develop a strategic maintenance and rehabilitation program of the transportation infrastructure, the incorporation of new materials and technologies in the construction and maintenance of the infrastructure and making mass transit available, among other actions. For full details on all areas and recommendations, check out the article on weeklyjournal.com. BahamaNews.net via Chinua News reports that Cuba on Wednesday registered 241 new confirmed cases of the coronavirus in the past 24 hours, taking the national caseload to 965,243 people, the Ministry of Health said. No coronavirus debts were registered in the 24 hour period, keeping the pandemic debt toll at 8,321. Havana, the country's capital and home to 2.2 million inhabitants, registered the highest number of new daily coronavirus cases at 60, followed by Cuban provinces of Pinar del Rio, 36 and Camagüey, at 23. COVID-19 cases are on the rise in the Caribbean nation, where over 100 new daily cases of infection have been seen for the fifth day in a row. The latest data from the health ministry showed that there were 768 active cases of COVID-19 across the island, including 11 patients in intensive care units. So far, 9.6 million people out of the total population of 11.2 million have been fully vaccinated against the coronavirus while nearly 1.5 million people have received booster shots. The Cayman Compass reports that the number of COVID-19 Omicron variant cases in Cayman Islands has more than doubled since the public health last released figures on Christmas Eve, with confirmed or suspected cases of the new strain standing at 242 as of Wednesday, December 29th. So far, the public health has confirmed 44 cases through genomic sequencing and the interim chief medical officer in an update said 198 probable Omicron cases have been reported. This includes 139 cases since December 24th. The latest Omicron cases were among 361 total new cases of COVID-19 reported in Wednesday's update with 78 involving travelers and 283 from the community. To date, there have been 130 cases reported on the Sister Islands. The result brings the number of active cases of COVID-19 in the Cayman Islands to 3,930. However, the number of people requiring hospitalization remained low, with four in the hospital as of Wednesday. The total number in isolation has not been released, but Public Health has confirmed that 3,825 individuals are isolating as Result of community transmission. As of December 24th, the last day before the holiday period when the clinic was open, 58,749 people, or 83% of the population of 71,106, had received at least one dose of the COVID 19 vaccine, while 57,000 94 people or 80 percent had completed the two-dose course also 16,667 people representing 23 percent of the population had received a booster dose Antigua newsroom reports that air canada is going to halt flights to Bermuda next month because of the latest surge in COVID-19 cases. An Air Canada spokesman said the airline would suspend services between Toronto and Bermuda from January 9th. The spokesperson said Air Canada continues to evaluate and adjust its routes network as required in response to the trajectory of the pandemic. Government imposed travel restrictions and quarantines and regulatory requirements. Affected customers will be contacted by Air Canada and offered options including refunds for eligible customers and alternative routings where available. The news came after the January flight schedule. Schedule reveal that WestJet is to reduce its service between Bermuda and Toronto from two flights to one a week. Delta Airlines is also not expected to resume service between Bermuda and Boston in the near future. The service ran daily until March 2020, but the route was one of several removed from the airline schedule for the 2021-2022 year, media reports said. And finally, Dominica News Online reports that a St. Lucia resident is now $2 million richer after winning the Windward Island Super 6 jackpot game. While no one has claimed the prize just as yet, St. Lucia National Lottery informed Dominica News Online that based on ongoing reports, a citizen from that country is the lucky winner from the draw held on December 29th. The unnamed, unidentified individual was able to match all six numbers 7 13 21 22 23 27 in what appears to be the largest super 6 jackpot which had been played in all four windward islands grenada st vincent and the grenadines st lucia and dominica the current jackpot which will draw on friday december 31st is two hundred thousand ec dollars this has been your Pulse of the Caribbean Caribbean News Roundup for Thursday, December 30th. I'm Keisha Wallace. For more Caribbean news stories and information, visit us online at pulseofthecaribbean.com and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Now Meta.